Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30 and you're tuned to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. First up, we have to welcome back from one week's absence, <laughs> Stephen yes. Ryan. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning, Pam, and good morning, everybody out there. And yes, last program for the year, so there you go. Yes, gosh, the year's gone quickly. Has it ever? It always does. My mum always said it got faster as you got older, and she was right. <laughs> She's definitely right. <laughs> I'm uh, starting to feel ancient. It's going so quickly. Yeah, yes. <laughs> oh, dear. But, oh, the heat. We have to talk about the heat. Yes, it's not fun, and the garden's not enjoying it, and nor are my plants at the nursery, and... Uh, you, all you can do is just hunker down and cope as best you can, just as the plants will have to do. I mean, mm. you can do do things to help ameliorate the problems, but when you get 40-odd degrees and higher, and if we get several days of it, some plants are going to suffer, and That's you've just right. got to accept it. And it's surprising what does. It's not always the expected. So time will tell what comes through it, and... As gardeners, of course, we always look forward to the next year. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah, some of the things in my veggie garden are suffering a bit at the moment, yeah. even though I've been madly watering. But, yeah. um, you know, the tops of all my raspberry canes have been burnt. Mm. Um, my biggest my biggest pumpkin vine is sort of in death's row, I think. Uh, yeah. We'll see. We'll yes, see. and I've sort of, uh, looking at the weather and what's been happening, I haven't been doing a lot in my veggie garden other than keeping things alive. I haven't been putting a lot in because mm. I just don't know that it's worth planting a lot at the moment yep. if we're going to keep getting this heat for a while. Yep. I mean, poor little seedlings and things are going to struggle to even come through it. So mm. uh, I'm leaving it to go sort of a bit fallow for a little while, I think. Yeah, well, mm. leafy greens, they've all bolted to seed. Mm. So, you know. <laughs> so much for salads. Exactly, uh, exactly. Surprisingly, the lettuce is okay, but things like rocket have just yeah, gone. Yeah, that's all getting hard and chewy gone. and running yeah. up to flowers at the moment. Yeah. Mine is. So yeah. just part of it. It is, it is. Mm. Penny, good morning. morning. Good morning. I was just listening to that and I. one of the things I've been doing is putting more things in shade um, In because my rocket hasn't gone to seed. It's looking fantastic, but it's always in partial shade, particularly in the afternoon. So okay. it has no, oh, yeah. no sun mm. on it. This is a perennial rocket, yeah. which usually goes to seed at this time, but it's actually been quite good this year and it's not going to seed yet. Um, and the other thing I've been doing is on my garden beds I've put um, – Rio on. I've got some odd bits of Rio ah, that's yeah. used on mm. building sites, and I push them into the ground on either side. And I use shade cloth mm. or old sheets or drop sheets that we use for painting and stuff. And I throw that over the top and use pegs to put it, hold it on, and it protects my seedlings. So I I was quite late in planting, ah, so yeah. I've got mm. quite a few young seedlings. But I've set up this system where I can quickly throw a sheet over the top, peg it down for windy days like yesterday, yeah, and it shades the plants through mm. most of the day and then I whip it off at night and put it back on the next morning. So um, you can keep growing yeah. if you've got time to do. And, and that's always the issue, isn't it? You know, yeah. You've got to make sure that you've got the time to deal yeah. with things. If you haven't, yeah. there's no point in doing but it. But I, I needed to come up with quick ways yeah. of being able to. So that takes me five minutes. When yep. I look at the day and know it's going to get up to mm. 40 degrees and things are going to get fried, You know, the new growth that's coming through is just going to brown off completely, then I can throw something yeah. over it. And the other thing I protected yesterday, and this is from long experience, is that 
plums don't take developing plums on trees don't take intense 40 degree heat on them mine get burnt ah, yeah. and I just threw a sheet over them yesterday and mm. I was able to hold it in place again with pigs I love pigs they're my <laughs> new, new favourite thing um, and the fruit hasn't been damaged yeah, that's uh, good. and it's just you know these are satsuma plums oh, right. uh, and it's a fairly small tree but it's completely covered in plums um, well you don't and, want to lose those and I don't want to lose them mm. whereas the nectarines no issue at all. They, mm. They'll no, come through. They, they just seem to come through. So you get to know after a few years of these 40-degree days what will survive. But I was saying to Stephen before, the thing that really threw me yesterday is that my hops vine was really badly affected yesterday. Oh. Totally unexpectedly. Yeah, you wouldn't Because they expect- have such no. coarse leaves. Yeah, it's sort yeah. of hard, sort of and almost just, bristly. I mean, it'll be fine because it's such a tough plant, but the leaves have just collapsed and dried out. Totally, and it was watered, so it was just mm. the heat that was doing yeah. it. So yeah. Yeah. Yes, every yeah. year you learn something new. Well, that's part that, of the charm that, of gardening, yes, I guess. Yes, <laughs> yes. Although learning the, the, the downside is not always pleasant at the no, time. that's right. <laughs> yes, my choco really got affected with the heat too, and yes. I would have thought that would be yeah. have been tougher than it is. Yeah. But I guess that chocos are more used to growing in humid environments, so it's that intense yes. dryness yeah. combined with the really high temperatures yes. that is what does it to Yes, them. so yeah. there you yeah. go. Yes, and all those fatinias out there getting their little tips burnt. <laughs> I think it's rather odd that people sort of think of fatinias and New Zealand flax and all those things as being tough as, and yet they come from New Zealand. Mm, exactly. Where they don't get those sorts of temperatures and the sort of dryness we get here. Yep. And certainly when we had those 45 degrees a couple of summers ago, um, Fatinias, uh, not Fatinias, Potosporums, which had been considered by most to be, you know, those tough things that you plant around your fences to hide yourself from the neighbours, yep. uh, they got fried. And even New Zealand flax got burnt, mm. you know, and and sort of understandably, people sort of look at it and think it's as tough as bilio, but it grows in bogs <laughs> in its natural habitat. Mm. So although it's reasonably dry tolerant, uh, it's not going to cope with that dry and, but, and but intense heat. But I think that's, that's the difference is mm. things that are dry tolerant are not necessarily intense heat. No, tolerant. you're right. Mm. Yes. So you've got to be prepared to Well, even succulents will sometimes mm. virtually cook mm. from the inside. Mm. Uh, and you think, oh, succulents, mm. they're a deserty thing, you know, they'll cope with anything, but I've seen them, mm. you know, sort of turn to mush from heat. Yes. And, uh, and of course, a lot of those plants, even if they do come from desert regions, they grow under shrubs or behind mm. rocks or, mm. you know, they nestle themselves into cooler spots uh, that takes that direct sun off them and they don't actually cook mm. in, in their natural habitat. But, yes, they will do it in ours. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's all stuff we're learning. Oh, and, yes. And absolutely. the other thing I find with the succulents, I've got these great little... Um, Portulacas in some oh, yeah. pots at the front, which just they're in flower and they look fabulous at the moment, but the birds adore them. They're coming and eating all the succulent leaves <laughs> because they're looking for the moisture. Yes. Uh, so I've had to put something over the top of those as well. Oh, goodness. So, oh, well, there you go. You know, it's, it's fun. Well, we eat some of the Portulacas, so I don't understand yeah, why the birds, the birds wouldn't. Shouldn't. Yes, I know, but you know, they don't uh, understand that I'm enjoying looking at them. Yeah, well, that's right. Yeah, they don't share. That's the problem no, with birds. No, they don't I mean, share. I've already got Rosellas ripping off little apples yeah. off my apple tree. Yeah. Uh, they, they're not even golf ball size. Yep. And I walked out the other day, and here's the lawn strewn with baby apples mm. all over the place. I mean, I wouldn't mind so much if they let them ripen first, then they'd get a decent feed out of them. But they're they're just dropping them to the ground. And, and half the time, they don't actually eat them. No, they no, just pluck them off and drop a, them. I, 
wish I could remember what it was, but I read that they do that because there is actually something in the growing tips that they're after. Oh, yeah. mm. So it's actually not the fruit that they're after. There's some chemical in the growing tips that, I, and oh. I can't remember well, what it was. Well, so damn I'll them for that. <laughs> yes. yes, but it's really interesting because they're stripping the apple tree, but touch wood at the moment, they haven't touched the Nashi pear, which is right next door. And the Nashi's got, you know, sort of fruit again, yes. sort of mm. getting up to sort of golf ball size. Um, and it's the, the trees are only three metres apart and the apple tree's almost naked and the Nashi pear hasn't been touched. It's, it's interesting, really, isn't it? I've, I find it really interesting that they identify a particular tree and mm. once your tree is identified, they will come back oh, year yeah. after year. But until they identify it, it's actually relatively safe. Yeah. Because I've got several trees in my garden that the cockies and rosellas so far haven't identified. Yeah. Um, you know, you keep your and they do live an awfully long time year. once they realise something's do. edible. Oh you know? yes, <laughs> but they come. They have this memory, this group mm. memory of where, where there is a fruit tree and where it's mm. likely. And that was part of their survival in the wild. Was they'd know mm. when things were going to be. They must have had a, a funny year this year though, because I got cherries for the first time okay. in about five years. I got a handful about five years ago right, off yeah. my cherry tree. I've got one of those. It's not a black cherry. It's a red cherry called Lappin, I think. Yeah. Um, and um, I planted it because it was supposedly a self-pollinator and I didn't have room for two cherry trees. And I thought, well, I'm going to be just giving them to the birds anyway, I thought. This year, I got a whole bucket of cherries oh, off my tree. No Great. netting, nothing. I didn't yeah. do anything. Just for whatever reason, they didn't get them. I mean, they started to have a go at them mm. uh, just as they were ripening up. And so I picked the rest of the crop. And now I've got five jars of um, brandy cherries put away in the cupboard. Fantastic. So, uh, so you didn't eat them as fresh cherries? We did eat quite a few, but there were more than we could have dealt okay. with. They would have got. They would have started to yeah. go off. Oh, uh, I mean, we were using them on our breakfast cereal and all that sort of yeah. stuff. So we did have the fresh cherries as well. But I quite literally got a whole bucket load of cherries and I thought this That's is outrageous brilliant. so we quickly googled a recipe for brandy cherries and uh, we thought well we'll preserve them in one way or another um, and something in alcohol always works for me so um, yeah so we've done that for the first time Excellent. so who knows I mean that really surprised me because I wasn't expecting it in fact the last time I did get some cherries the only reason I got some was that I've got a clematis that grows up and through the cherry tree a bit and it was a bit underneath the clematis that the birds hadn't found ah. and so there was all these purple flowers of the clematis sitting above these red cherries hiding underneath and so I got a handful of cherries but this year it wasn't that that did it either they were mm. out in the open and okay. the birds didn't touch them so I don't get it but I'm next not looking year. forward to next year yeah. no. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon it'll be a once in a five year thing where I'll mm. get some cherries or something <laughs> so I don't know but anyhow so yeah so I'm getting a few fruit trees getting stripped and others that I got stuff off that because I'm I have to say I'm not mad keen on preventative measures you know you're talking about putting things over your veggies and stuff which I see is quite reasonable but I have this aesthetic sense in the garden yeah. and netted fruit trees I mean, we're they all... They don't look great. No, and we're all old enough to remember Ina Sharples. Yes. And I think of my whole garden as full of Ina Sharples hairnets uh, <laughs> when, when you net the fruit trees. And the year that I netted the, the Nashi pear in the front garden, only to find that a bird had managed to get under the net somehow. Mm. Oh. And my two cats were sitting there like they were watching telly. Yep. And this bird was flying around frantically inside the net. Yep. And I thought, oh, I can't deal with this. I just can't deal with it. So I've never bothered netting since. And, of course, getting the nets off, if you don't put some sort of frame mm. up the branches start the, to grow yeah, into the net right. and, oh it's an absolute nightmare yes. so uh, and I'm not organized enough and I don't want infrastructure there I want my trees to look pretty 
Yep. So I have to suffer the consequences of sometimes not getting much fruit. But last year I got oodles and ashes. Uh, I've got bottles and bottles of them mm. that I, I preserved. Um, and it's got a good crop on it this year, so we'll see what happens. Never know. Uh, hopefully I'll have enough nashies to last me right through the season for breakfast and things. Mm. I'm individually bagging fruit. Are you? Not, yeah. not netting anymore because I had the same problem... The nets would, no matter what I tried to do yeah. with it, the nets would catch. And you need five the... hands to get a net up and over, oh, and I think ten to get them off. It's impossible on your own to, to net <laughs> yeah. a tree. It's yeah. really impossible. Yeah. And then I'd find, as you did, birds would slip underneath somehow anyway. Mm. Or yeah. So, but what I what I've done, and and I did this as an experiment last year with my. Um, uh, pomegranates. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. suddenly the cockies realised there were pomegranates mm. on my tree. <laughs> you know? And as soon as I would turn my back, they were back there. So I just tied plastic bags mm. around individual fruit. And that worked so well and I got a great crop. So I've done it this year for the first time. My two grapevines have produced bunches and bunches and bunches uh. of grapes, which aren't ripe enough yet to pick. But I thought, I'm going to bag these as well. I really want some grapes. Yeah, so. well, it is nice to get something of what you put your effort into. Yeah. I mean, I don't mind sharing it with the creatures, but it's not fair if they take it all. No, that's exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, Pam, do you, yeah. you don't find that in the plastic bags the fruit sweats and you get fungal problems? No. Because I use paper bags. Yep. I use waxed paper bags yep. on yeah. a lot of fruit, and, and that leaves some for the birds and some for me. Mm. And that worked on my apricot tree this year. I bagged most of them and, and actually got a crop for the first time, oh, which well is done. very exciting. Only about 30 or 40 fruit, but you know that was enough to, to be really good. The nectarine tree is just covered in masses, but I would not use plastic because I would have thought it would sweat. Well, I haven't had a problem. a problem. The only thing I've had to do is if we get a lot of rain, some of the water gets into the bag yeah. for some reason, so I've had to put a hole in the bottom of the bag just so it will drain. Okay. And in this intense heat, it's not magnifying the heat? And um... Well, I haven't undone a bag yesterday okay. to look, but um, I've certainly not had problems mm. last year. Okay. I, it was fine. Okay. So That's interesting. Fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah. but I, I will check it out as soon yeah. as we get that cool change yeah. through. I'll... One day there'll be a cockatoo that'll work out how to open a plastic oh, bag. Yeah, oh, I'm <laughs> sure. And look, they eventually... <laughs> I mean, it's you... only a temporary measure. Yeah. Mm. I find that with the white paper bags, and I, it certainly wouldn't suit you because you wouldn't like <laughs> yeah, to see yuck, all these yes, paper yes, bags. Yes. <laughs> But um, it actually acts as a deterrent yeah. to the to the birds. They're less likely to be in the tree because of all they these. They think it's a white cocky. Well, it's or... something like that. Yes. I, don't, I don't know. But yeah, they yeah. just seem to not want to get into the tree. And, and you can um, – Green Harvest sells bags that, that has a little bit of wire impregnated into the edge of the thing, and you can buy them really cheaply through Green Harvest – and they're really easy to put on because that's oh, what it can be very time consuming putting bags. Oh on. yes, it is. But these ones you just put on and twist the little bit of wire around the stem and it's on. And oh, you fantastic. can get small ones and big ones. So you can okay. put them over clumps of fruit or you oh, can yeah. put them over individual fruit. Yep. So the fruit that grow right on the stem, the, the small ones are really good for because they have a slit in the side and someone's really put a lot of thought into them. Okay. But you can get a bag of fifty for you know, five, ten dollars. Okay. So, you know, they're really not expensive and I found that they actually last for seven. I was gonna say are you going to get more than one use Absolutely. out of them as well. So I'm, if... I'm still using unless they break tear badly, yeah. um, they actually last for three or four years. Being slightly waxed, oh, yep. it just yep. keeps them for a bit longer. Okay. Oh, that's really another good. another yeah. good idea. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. Excellent. Okay. Well, uh, 
I actually don't have any community announcements, would you believe? I'm not surprised, <laughs> considering how close to Christmas we now are. Exactly. I can't imagine too many people are running events this week, um, unless it happens to be a horticultural Christmas party or something, True. maybe. But True. You know, apart from that, yes. Well, yeah. it's good in a sense. It's the, nice to... The only thing I will, I will mention is if anyone is uh, scratching their heads because they've got to come up with a Christmas present at this last mm. minute... Um, 3CR do have still a lot of wonderful gardening books left oh. over from our Radiothon and management have decided that they are going to sell all of these at half price because um, the whole station is being um, redone up, painted. It's amazing. We're, yeah, we're yeah walked in this morning and I thought I was in the wrong clean place. Yeah. station. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. fantastic. But they're wanting to clear all yeah. the old stock. Um, and as I say, there are some absolutely fantastic books there. So we, if you are interested in grabbing mm. a book, um, talk to someone uh, during office hours during the week or come into 3CR, 21 Smith Street in Fitzroy, and um, there's some wonderful bargains going out yeah. there for half price. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah excellent. But it's time we invited our listeners to join us. This is our last gardening show for the well, for the year. Yeah, so you better get in this morning, otherwise Absolutely. you'll have to wait till early February. Yes, we're not back until the first Sunday in February, which is actually the 7th of February. Um, it's longer than usual because there are five weeks in January oh, yeah. next year, which means we're having that extra week's break. Um, so we're back on the 7th of February. So if you've got a gardening question that you really need an answer to or a comment you'd like to make, now this is, is your, the time. Yeah, last chance for yep, the year. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. That phone number, 94190155. We've got Stephen Ryan, Penny Woodward in the studio. We'd love to hear from you, 94190155. Stephen, let's start with one of your plants. Yeah, well, I brought in a, a couple of sort of summery, perennially things, really, um, thinking, well, you know, we want some cheering up when the weather's really hot and horrible. And so I brought in a couple of things that uh, I think make a great show at the this time of the year in the garden. The first one is one of the campanulas. And uh, campanulas are such an old-fashioned group of plants and, and yet you don't see them around as much as I think you should. And there's some really pretty ones out there. This particular one I bought originally as... Um, uh, well, actually, it's, got, it's not what it was sold as. I bought it as punctata, and punctata is a, a pinkish, spotty companion, or it gets big bells like this one does. Right. Uh, but I think this one might be a punctata hybrid or something like that. And the only thing I can pin it down to is a variety called Kent Blue. Um, and it's a stunning thing. Huge, big oh, mm, bells on it. flowers. Yeah. yeah. And it suckers from the bottom, so you'll end up with a clump of it. Gorgeous. Um, it's a little heavy, so you sometimes have to stake it a bit because it's, it's big bells are so huge that they weigh the branches over. Um, but look, a morning sun aspect not too dry, and this campanula should grow very, very well for you. And it'll flower for ages. I mean, even this young plant, the six-inch pot, it's got its one flowering spike on it that must have sort of eight or ten flowers on it, and it's got a secondary spike starting. So mm. later in the summer, I'll get another spike off that, and there's another one coming from the bottom, and they'll just keep flowering virtually all summer long. Fantastic. And campanulas are generally good cut flowers, so if you want to cut them and use them in the house, this one will grow to sort of 60 centimetres or so tall, so it's quite tall enough to use as a cut flower. Mm. Um, and I think it's a fantastic thing. It's almost the size of the old-fashioned biennial Canterbury Bell. 
that people would be familiar mm. with. Yes. Uh, again, a, a flower you don't see around yep. so much these days, the old Canterbury Bell. I can remember as a child uh, catching bees inside them <laughs> and then picking them and chasing the girls around with a bee inside the Canterbury <laughs> Bell. So there's, there's something nasty that little Stephen Ryan used to do when he was a kid that <laughs> reminds him of Canterbury Bells. Um, so that's Campanula, I think, Kent Blue. Um, right. But as I said, I bought it as Punctata, but it's the wrong name because it should be pink. Um, so lovely Campanula and definitely worthwhile growing Mm -hmm. Um, if you want something as tough as nails for a hot dry border uh, most of us are familiar with euphorbias uh, in their many forms Um, but not all of them are big and bulky like the euphorbia caracius and some of those this particular one that i brought along today is one called um, euphorbia cypericius cypericius fens ruby and it suckers, <laughs> so be warned, uh, you'll end up with a, a, quite a colony of it. Okay. But it doesn't tend to grow back into the shade. So if you've got, say, a shrub border and you just want something that's going to grow along the front edge, uh, then this plant could be a good suggestion. It dies down in the winter. Uh, it goes bright colours before it dies down. So the whole plant will go oranges and mm. yellows and things before it dies down. Uh, in the spring it comes up and it flowers at probably only sort of 60 millimetres or so above the ground with the classical acid green sort of flowers that you get from euphorbias. But the new growth also gets a sort of a dark clarity colour in it. Mm. Um, And so you get this clarity coloured new growth, the limey heads of green flowers all sitting quite close to the ground when it first comes up. And then after flowering, it sort of fluffs out and you've got this almost, well, almost cypressy looking foliage. I was going to say, it looks like a cypress. Yeah, and and it's a really, and it's a sort of lovely grey and then just the little burgundy tips on it. And I imported Fens Ruby years and years ago from Beth Chateau in England. All right. And she had it growing in her dry garden there, and it looked stunning. It was mm. just the most beautiful plant in the whole garden, so, I thought. So, Stephen, we were talking before about the difference between dry tolerance mm. and sheer heat sheet, tolerance. Yeah. Is it heat tolerant? It seems to be. So uh, it didn't get, hasn't been burnt in the heat. No, it hasn't been burnt in the heat. 40 degree. No, no. Okay. It seems to have come through it really well. I might add it is one of those plants because of its network of underground stems that it'd soon refurbish if it did because yeah. it's, um, you know, you're going to end up with lots of suckers come up around yep. the original plant you put yep. in. Um, but, you know, it's not for probably the, the faint-hearted gardener that likes to keep everything exactly where they put it because it will run around. But an ideal sort of summer ground cover, uh, particularly if you're looking for something to grow over bulbs. Yep. You know, Sounds late. like exactly my sort of plant. Yeah, well, I, I, it's certainly my sort of plant, Penny. I mean, I, I just love plants that have a little bit of a zest for life, are generally self-maintaining, and all I have to do is just keep them in bounds a bit. Yeah. I mean, I'm happier to go out and sort of dig the outskirts of a colony of something mm. away than to have mm. to mollycoddle something to try and make it grow. Mm. You know, it, it makes life much, much easier. And so there's the normal form of cypressus looks exactly like this, but you just don't get the burgundy-ish tips. Yep. Uh, and that form's been in a Australia for quite a long time. I think somebody else also imported Fens Ruby because I saw it come out into the marketplace not long after I'd imported it. So it obviously has been bought it's, in by yes. somebody else as well. But it was certainly one of those plants that I saw at Beth Chateau's and it was when I had, I think, my last open permit where I could bring in anything I wanted and then they'd assess it and say you could or you couldn't. Um, I thought 
got to have it. So, yeah, so it's one of those things I bought back, and I think it's rather fun. Oh, so, I think it's fabulous. Yeah, very pretty little euphorbia. Just point of warning, though, of course, like all euphorbias, they have that milky sap. Yes. If you're dealing mm. with them for any reason, just be careful. Don't get it in your eyes and all that sort of stuff yep. um, because it is rather nasty. Yep. And you can take it from me because I know. Ooh, <laughs> I yeah. have done it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Not necessarily with that one, but I have done it with euphorbias. So yeah. It's very yep. painful. Oh, look, we we've must got a whole get pol- to our calls. Yes. First up, we have Ken in Sunshine. Morning, Ken. Good morning, everybody. Look, I'd like to thank you all, and even those who are sleeping in this morning. I hope you're <laughs> listening that are not here, that, that are not there. Sorry. Uh, I wish you all the best for um, Christmas and New Year. Oh, thank and you. And I look forward to hearing you next year because, as I've told you before, you're my uh, you're my Sunday church, <laughs> and. Um, I'd like to thank you for what you've done over, with, over the park issue. We haven't done anything yet. We're going to do a big tree planting next year. Every Christmas, something's on. Everyone said we haven't got time at the moment. So. Yes, fair enough. And I don't know why. <laughs> but anyway, um, and I'd like to thank you people for everything you've, you've done and said because um, it's all support. And, we, of course, we won the park, but... The council's got no money to put into the into the park for trees, and and we said, don't worry, we'll have it, and um, we'll the community will do it, and yep. we'll put we want in it, and also too, um, we're going to get seats off them, and uh, which has never been the kids used to play football, well, the kids still play football in here, so we're going to we're going to have a park for a small park for all the communities that they can rest, kick, kick a football, and play cricket. Wonderful. Anyway, again, thank you very very much. You're all brilliant at what you do the whole lot, even the ones who were not there. Oh, good on you, Ken. Thank <laughs> you. And you much. have a great Christmas too. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Right, next up we're going to uh, Peter, who's down in St Kilda. Well, good morning, Peter. Hi, Penny. How are you going? I believe you've got a remedy for um, hay fever. Um, <laughs> look, I'm not a, I'm not a naturopath um, yeah. at all. Yeah. One of the things that though that some um, people do is to, and this is you need to do it before the hay fever season, is to drink elderflower tea. So that helps to line the mucous membranes yeah. to make you less susceptible. All to right, elderflower to, tea. How does one make elderflower tea? Just with the flower heads? Just using the flower heads. Yeah. Um, and I actually um, harvest the flowers when because they come in after the hay fever season starts. So I harvest ah. the flowers then and I keep them until the following you know, year. The so following you dry year. them? I just, you just dry them the yeah. way you would dry any, any herb. And you, just, you can add it to other teas. You used to be able to get quite a nice organically grown tea that was a mixture of different things that also had elderflower in. I, I know this because my daughter has hay fever. Um, yeah. So she um, drinks elderflower tea each spring, which, which yeah. helps. So, no. look, it's not a cure, but it it does seem to cut down the symptoms I've just a bit. Had the worst year. It's mm. been a bad year for started, all for lots of hay fever sufferers. I started in September with the yep. uh, sweet potostrum. Yep. Yes. October, uh, the um, bachelor pendula, the what is it, silver birch. Yes. Uh, followed that up by brushing across beside a um, privet. Yeah. Oh, oh dear. And yes. Next, uh, the last last one I've copped, and I'm ending up in bed for three or four days. Oh, oh that's all no good. 
Yeah. Look, it's it's one of those things that I know that there's been some discussions about our street trees and whether we should be planting some of the you know the the ones that really cause mm. quite bad hay fever, yeah. or whether we should be avoiding them. And it mm. must be I'm not a hay fever sufferer, so no, nor but am it must I, be so, really yeah. tough for people like oh. you who, and and all the grasses, you know, because oh, you don't yes. even well, know whether it's the grasses well, that are I've causing grasses some of these problems. A year ago or two years ago, when yeah. I had the first one with the. Um, Sweet potosporum. Yep. I had all those pricks done on my arm. Oh, okay. Oh, yes. Nothing, you know, they don't test for sweet potosporum because they can't do anything for it. Yeah, yeah, and you see, the problem is hay fever sufferers are all different too. Yeah. So That's some right. some respond to the grasses, mm. some react to yeah. as you do the potosporums, and it's really hard well, to know what it is that. Um, I'm you walking know. up Chapel Street, and yeah. there was thirty meters of footpath that was just absolutely yellow under the um, uh, birch. Okay. You yes. Know, just from the catkins that yes. yep. on, it was just—I mean, it was so much pollen. Yeah. People walked on it; they left footprints. Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, that was, and then uh, I've ended up with the last one, which I think we used to call stinking Roger. Uh, which oh, okay. I, which yes. I believe is. Um, it's a it's a calendula. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, just, oh, it's been terrible. Maybe mm. maybe what we need to do, particularly with the street trees, is to at least have some way where people who are sufferers can identify where these trees are. Um, yeah. And, you know, with with did, with computers and things these yeah, days, you should be able to, get, be able to get an app mm. that tells you when things are in flower and when well, to avoid that area. I've learned what to do with the um, sweet potostrum. Uh, yeah. One of the members of our body corporate has his... Um, Doctorate of Horticulture from Burnley. Okay. And he totally agrees, let's take it out and put in something like a, um, uh, just the, uh, oh, I just, Luke, you know, Luke Lukoskum and whatnot. Um, one of the, you know, the paper bucks. All right. Yep. Um, yeah, yeah. So I saw a I, native, like a Melaleuca or Melaleuca. a. Melaleuca. Yep. That's yep. the one. Yep. You know, I have absolutely no probably walking down Gurner Street with uh, the Melaleuca. Yeah, well, I mean, sweet potosporums are actually weeds in this yeah. part of Victoria, yeah. in, in Melbourne. So they are a declared weed. In Gippsland, they're native, mm. but um, they're Indigenous. But in Melbourne, they're, they're a declared weed. So, right you know, outside my window, yep. and it's yep. 20 metres high. Oh. Right. And I mean, it's a big tree. Yes. Yes. Okay. Know. Well, okay. look, good luck, Peter. And, and look, do... I've machinery and the training, but the only yep. thing I don't have is the uh, insurance to chop it down. Okay. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Right. Uh, yeah, don't do that because hay fever's bad enough, but if you have a tree fall on you, that's even worse. Oh, well, I don't have a tree fall on me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. Okay, Bye. well, good luck. Thanks very much. Okay. Bye. Bye, Peter. It's funny, I actually... Oh, well, Craig and I actually made elderflower cordial this year. Mm. To have a crack at it, it's delicious. Right. Yeah, it is beautiful. It it's fantastic. Well, that's actually you could try. I haven't tried the cordial. But well, you wonder might, whether it might work. As yeah, well. that might work yeah. as well. I did think that when you were t- yeah. talking about making a tea, and I wondered that, whether and the that cordial. would be a way of preserving it over yeah. a longer period yeah. too. So, yeah. yeah. But yes, we we made, I think, six or seven cordial bottles full of elderflower cordial mm. this year. So mm. that was quite exciting. The, yeah. the thing I should say about elderflower and elder berry trees is that if you're in a region where they do actually produce berries because down by the coast they don't it's not mm. cold enough to produce berries if you're in a region where they do you need to harvest all your berries yeah. or remove them from your tree because if birds get them and take yeah, them they, and they fly can into, become very weedy they are, can be a very weedy plant yeah. so just be really careful um if you're harvesting all the flowers then obviously they're not going to set berries so that's mm. quite a good way of yes, overcoming exactly. the problem yeah. But, yeah and a delicious one at that yep. yes
Okay, let's go next to, uh, let me see. We have uh, Robert, who's down in Phillip Island. Good morning, Robert. Hello, how are you all? We're well. Oh, been warm down here. Yes. yes. Yeah, very warm. I got out um, a couple of days ago and covered all the young seedlings, cucumbers and such, with dry grass. I, okay. I, I put a coating over it and uh, taken them off this morning, and it's, it's done the job well. It saved a lot of them. Well done. Uh, look, I've grown better tomatoes than this year. How are your tomatoes growing? I've seen better years. Uh, yeah, look, mine are doing all right, but I don't know that they're doing fabulously. No. Yeah, no. look, I was a bit late with my tomatoes, but they've got a lot of flowers on them at the mm. moment, so mm. it'll be interesting to see whether they um, mm. set fruit. So I had some fruit set about a month ago, mm-hmm. and they're developing quite nicely. Not a lot of fruit set mm. since then, um, right. so it'll be interesting to see whether these flowers set fruit um, uh, with cu- the high temperatures. Yeah, cucumbers are a little slower than, mm. than they have been, and I don't have a real lot of luck in growing petunias. I notice the the ones the Shire grow in the be- their beds do 100% better than mine do. I, I don't know, and the Portulaca I find this year a bit slow too. So I don't know whether it would be my soil. Uh, look, I'm not sure. I've been growing portulacas and they're doing brilliantly. Yeah, um, yeah, but that's in a in a pot with a really good potting mix. Um, so, yeah, they they do need you know particularly when they're young they need some reasonable nutrient input. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they certainly need you to keep the water up to them. Yes. So that may be the difference. Uh, Stephen, I, I I heard you once before mentioning Canterbury bells. I planted some seed. Now, I got them in a bit late. The Canterbury Bells now are about a foot high. Yeah. They're the double, hopefully the purple. Would they be still okay? Would they still get a flowering this year or would I have to hold them over to next year? They're probably going to be next year because they're really a biennial. Right. And they tend to grow in the first year and then flower in the second year. And that's probably one of the reasons why some of these plants have become less commonly grown because people are used to planting annuals where they get immediate impact, Mm. but they're not used to planting something that uh, they've got to wait for that extra season to get the flowers on. So biennial plants do tend to... I don't know, they seem to have slipped under the net now and you don't see a lot of biennials around. In fact, some of the things that we always thought of as biennials, they're now trying to produce annual forms, Mm. like the digitalises, for instance. Now you can buy foxgloves that come... You can plant and they come out in the first season instead yeah. of waiting for that second year. So my gut feeling is you might get an odd late one. There's nothing yeah. to say that you won't get some in the autumn that will go to flower. But I think as long as you keep them well watered and, and they go into the autumn in good fettle, yes. uh, then you should get a fantastic show with them next year. Yes, I've managed to bring on some lovely coloured carnations. I've got a, a lovely yellow mm-hmm. that I've managed to bring on uh, with slips and such. And it's, it's a very big flower and it's got a beautiful scent. Oh, well done. Yes, you don't see a lot of the yellow carnation, like the field carnation around, do you, with the scent? No, you'd, in fact, a lot of the field carnations that they bred for cut flowers, they seem to have got rid of the scent to a large extent. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes. And, um, and, Robert, don't forget you can eat those petals if you want to. Yes, so. yes. And I, uh, the, the rabbiting's been curtailed. It's been too hot to go out. Oh, yeah. yes. So it looks as though uh, I won't be having a, a rabbit on the Christmas uh, dinner table. Oh, yeah, well. But the ferret's too, it's too hot. Yes. There's it's too hot for rabbit. any animal in this weather. <laughs> What's that, mate? It's too hot for every animal oh, in this yes. weather. Uh, uh, we've just got a new puppy, and the poor little thing yesterday oh. just spent the whole day flat on its back. Oh, yeah. Uh, it 
just did not like it at all. No. And, and I was using a little atomizer and squirting it on a regular basis. So, um, yeah, no, none of the animals enjoy this weather. No, and, no, you know, no, no, and I actually don't. put a plea out to everybody to think of the animals during yeah, this weather and yeah, get true. some water out there for get the wildlife. Get water out in the and, gardens, yeah. You know, all yeah. that sort of stuff. I topped up all my bird baths last night. And, yeah, they um, love that, don't Fresh water, the birds love it, yeah. nice and clean and fresh. Yes. Yeah. Well, well, God bless everybody and thanks very much for all your help and for the joy you give a lot of people. Fantastic. Thanks very much, Robert. Robert. And have a great uh, Christmas, all of you. Okay, thank you, and same to you. Bye. Bye. We're going to go to uh, our good friend Margot up in Kyneton. Good morning, Margot. Good morning, Pam. And I just rang to say two things. Merry Christmas to everyone, and make sure you have a nice long break. Thank you. Um, and the second one was um, a really simple, not a remedy, but a lot of people up here have had some success with it uh, for uh, your hay fever. Right. And these are people that have been on, you know, their pharmaceutical drugs and things, trying to cope with bad hay fever. And the simple thing is to take some uh, fresh pineapple every day. Pineapple. Yes, I have heard pineapple. that, yes. It's the, um, some sort of unusual mm. enzymes in the pineapple that, um, you know, stop the mucous membranes brains picking up all the pollens and things. Mm. Well, anything well. like that's worth a crack, and, I mean, there's nothing wrong with pineapple for you anyway. <laughs> yeah. so. Well, it's nice so. to eat, it's so, yeah. And, you know, I think uh, the pharmaceutical companies are not keen to get that message out, of course, because you imagine how many packets of uh, of those antihistamines they're selling. Oh, yes, exactly. So uh, there you go, everybody. Have a okay. go with the pineapple. Great tip. Thanks, right, Margot. Have a great um, holiday. Thank you, and you okay. too. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Right, this time we're going to Frank, who's in Noble Park. Good morning, Frank. My friends, thank you for very much for taking my call. On a very, very somber note, Pam, your good serve, Penny. I'm not forgetting Jan for taking my call. There's Stephen Ryan. Yeah, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, etc. Now, we are planning, I'm sorry for not having called for such a long time, private and personal reason. I lost my mother a few weeks ago. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, Fair Frank. Income, true story. So anyway, we want to, uh, my, my mother is the one who planned the whole garden, the front garden and the back garden, etc. I made a few small mistakes along the way. I tried to change the plan and I made a few mistakes. I've gone back to the old plan. Mm-hmm. Fair income, true story. We're having a few uh, problems regarding even, even to get really good gardeners. Even for lawn m- m- mowing and planting the garden, we're having a bit of a hard time. Coming straight to the crux of the matter, now we have, we have already approached Chris, uh, December, Christmas. Uh, I will ask three, four questions and then I'll speak. Um, I'm, I'm still going for my pumpkin, silver beet, chilies, etc. And also, I mentioned less gardeners. Also, there is a, an old Australian folklore tale where, regarding the hot season, they put a basin on a stand, on a tripod, and then they get the table fan. And then they project that table fan onto the tripod basin of water, and apparently it cooled the whole house. Now, in addition, I, I will, uh, by now, you, you all have worked out that I'm a thinker. Apparently, in, in the kibbutz in Israel, they water the gardens at 7 o'clock in the morning, and they water the gardens at 7 p.m. in the evening. Now, say, for example, with 8 billion population in the world and 25 million population in Australia, do you all think if they water the garden at 7 a.m., 
and 7 pm the water will go up and we'll get more rains <laughs> yeah uh, i guess i i see where you're coming from frank um i don't know whether we would even with everybody doing that i don't think we'd have an appreciable change to the water the rain patterns uh, but what will make a difference to rain patterns is of course having lots of trees and if you plant lots of trees and you get a treed environment uh, then it does encourage rain because you know you get condensation from the trees that uh, expire moisture and yeah so if we can plant lots more trees i think that will have a huge impact long term uh, but i'm not sure that everybody watering at the same time in the morning is going to help also, I want to thank you all very much for such a wonderful, wonderful show. Such genuine, loyal, grateful people. They come in week in, week out, 50, work, 50 weeks a year. In my menorah candle, I will eat a special candle for all 6 and 7 p.m. every day. <laughs> also, gospel on a suit. Also, say some big prayers for my good friend Peter Rice's mother, Margaret, who's not very well at the moment. If I can light a menorah candle... And keep on your thoughts and prayers. I'll be very grateful indeed. Shibat Shalom, 24-7, 366 days per year. You'll all be in our thoughts and prayers. Thanks for taking my call. Okay. Thanks, right. Frank. Thanks, Frank. Hallelujah. God bless you. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. No, thank you. And uh, we're now going to another Frank, this time in Craigieburn. Good morning, Frank. Good morning. Good morning, all. How are you today? All right. That's oh, good. under the circumstances. But nice to hear Frank again. Never mind. Uh, what a lovely surprise I got this morning. Why is that? Well, I, I, I thought you were on holiday, or, you know, I thought you'd start your holidays last week. All right. Oh, well, there you and, go. See, we surprised you, didn't we? And uh, I, I said, oh, I'll put, you know, through force of habit, I'll put three CR on, and there you were. Right. Well, don't do it next week and expect to hear us. Oh, I, I, no, I expected this week. Yeah, okay. I, I said, what's I going to do? I, I, I withdrawal symptoms, you know. <laughs> and, you know, uh, you were talking about Canterbury Bells and, uh, yeah. and another one I'd like to remind you of, Sweet Williams. Let's face it, uh, uh, Steve and all, the cold climate flowers... When I was a kid, I used to go down the recreation ground, and on the side of the road was Sweet Williams, Canterbury Bells, London Pride, a lot of little flowers that I chose to take for granted. I thought, you know, it's just common. Mm. But uh, since I've been in Australia for a long time, they are luxuries, you know. This climate is not made for those uh, Cool climate flowers, you know. No, it's not, uh, but it does... You can't expect the best out of them. No, you can't, although it does show the uh, interesting side of gardeners who still want to try and grow things. Yeah, but, uh, and I also, why not in a way? Sweet Williams, which are dianthus. Yeah, um, they're pretty tough. They're really yeah, pretty tough. I've I mean, they're grow, one of the things that are really surviving grow, in my garden. I've mm. tried to grow a lot of things that are weeds in England, like violets and buttercups, things you've never heard of. I've tried to grow them here, forget me nots and etc. They they don't do any good. They grow, but they're not that there. Uh, it looks like that real authentic feeling about them. Mm. Yeah, and look in England, people try and grow bottle brushes and exactly. eucalypts, and uh, I know, I know, I know, I know. But so that, it's the same that, worldwide, really. Uh, what's that got to do with their native France bottle brushes for Australia for, uh, for 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 different parts? Never mind. Uh, I'd like to um, talk about the native grasses. If any of you learned people could help me with this, mm. native grasses. Now, you've noticed all the import of grasses have dried off now. They're like biscuits. 
They're like uh, the brown and dead. Uh, but what are, what's coming up in my part of the world, part of the world, is uh, native grasses. Now, I don't know whether you're interested much in the native grasses. I, I've been waiting. For, I thought I'd pull it off until you got someone talk. I know Roger uh, is interested in uh, native grasses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Roger uh, Elliot. Yes. But um, I, I've uh, I've got a whole paddock which I've tried to water for a fire break. Mm-hmm. Now, all the grasses, imported grasses have died, but what's coming to be some kind of grass that looks very sturdy? Which I think it is a uh, tussock. Mm-hmm. It's a long, silky leaves, stems, and fades to a light brown at the end. Very sturdy. Mm-hmm. They're coming up now. They're thriving on, the, on this, this uh, dry weather. Now, uh, I'd like to know if anyone knows. It's ideal for lawns, of course. It looks beautiful. It, it, do you know what I'm talking about? Without seeing the grass, Frank, it's pretty hard to I know, know exactly I know, which I know, one I know, it is I know. you're talking about. I, so. I've been on before and I, I, I can't get any. But I, 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 I'm just saying I might need the jackpot somewhere. Yeah. But I, I've, got a, I've got a phone call. I've got a phone number for, for someone in Kayla, which I'll gladly get round to and ask him if he can... Uh, Explain it, mm. but I, I, I've cut cut the grasses when it was green, but I left these little roots alone. I'd like to know how someone might tell me how native grasses pro- propagate. You know how they how they spread the seeds, or if they've got any. Oh yeah, well they'll all set seeds, and they and like any of the exotic grasses, the seeds will drop to the ground as soon as they get a bit of rain. The seeds will germinate, um, and um, so they have the same sort of cycle in a sense, except that they're more drought tolerant than a lot of the exotic grasses. Yes, so yes, yes. They'll stay greener through the summer, um, and so what you've got could well be one of the powers without knowing for sure, but I would guess it is one of the, the poa grasses because uh, they tend to make sort of tussocky clumps um, and they will set seed in due course and uh, and if you, as long as you allow the seed to ripen on the plant, they'll drop to the oh, ground. I'm and, quite prepared to do that. Yep, well, do that and then you'll get seedlings come up around them, particularly if you could do a little bit of hand irrigating around them uh, after the seed is shed. But I found out they don't need water. Well, they don't need water, but a lot of them will germinate better and you'll get a of much course. stronger regrowth if Could you put you a little me, water down after the seed I, I, sheds. As regards fire resistance, what, what's your opinion on that? I don't think there's any difference between uh, exotic grasses and native grasses. The only difference, Stephen, is that the native grasses tend to be green for longer, so yeah. they're less of a yes, fire yes. hazard in the early part said, of the season. Mm. So as that, I said, they're thriving in this dry weather. Yeah, well, yeah. but later in the season when they dry off, they'll still burn. Yes, yeah. I, I've seen a few public buildings in broad meadows and I've stopped to look at the wonder, wonder at, at them thriving in the drought, mm. you know. Mm. And, and never mind, uh, there's a fellow called uh, you from uh, Yarra Valley or somewhere. You? Yes. Uh, give my regards to him. I, I, rather, uh, <laughs> I think he's great. Okay. Well, all right, thanks, Frank. Come to drop, drop a few words. In, in. <laughs> thanks a lot. Okay, right. bye-bye, Bye. Frank. Well, all right. Right, we've got uh, our good friend Val in Vermont. Good morning, Val. Good morning, Pam and Stephen and Penny. How are you, Val? Good, thank you. Now, I've got a a bit of a problem with a couple of fruit trees. First of all, I've got a couple of Flemings. One's a peach and one's a nectarine. You know how they're only the little ones, and you know how they sort of grow compact. But I've got great big... um, 
uh, stems coming up on them, and I thought, I wonder if I should cut them off. Where are they coming from, Val? Are they coming from the very base of the tree or...? Uh, Yes, I think so, Stephen. Yeah, look, you need to look for where the bud or graft was done uh, on the stem, which will be a slightly knobbly look. If you look down the trunk, you'll see a spot where it's a little bit knobblier and the bark probably changes slightly in its texture and maybe even its colour slightly. Uh, And anything above that point will be the peach or the nectarine or whatever that you bought. Anything below that point is likely to be the understock and it certainly needs to be taken off. All oh, right. So if it's above that graft, leave it, even though yes. it's about... No, uh, sorry, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's above the graft and it's a really long growth and your tree's finished fruiting, you should actually be cutting those long growths back by about 50%. Yeah, but not off. No, no, not no, off. No, no, no yeah, but you do yeah. need to cut them back. Otherwise, you will end up with a branch that is much too long with new growth on the yeah. end. You're trying to keep the plant small, um, so cut it back to about mm-hmm. half. But do check where the graft graft. is. If it's below the graft, cut it right back at the trunk. All right. All right, I'll do that. Now, my apricot tree, I've got quite a few apricots on it, but they've all got brown spots on them. Mm. What's that? They've they've covered in, like, freckles. It'll be a fungal disease, um, and there's not much that you can do about it. The you need to. um, It may not affect the fruit. Sometimes it's just on the skin, Um, but yeah, you'll just have to see what happens when you get them off the tree. And apricots will ripen off the tree, so once they're a good orange colour, you can take them off and ripen them inside and see how they go. I think you'll find it probably won't affect the fruit actually. Yeah, and it may even uh, actually not be um, fungal, but might be sunburn is the other thing that can. Well, look, I think that I've had it before on the tree, Mm. and I did have a feeling it might have been some sort of virus. Or can you fix fungal? Um, Look, you can use you can try using sprays, but they're very variable. Some years you'll get them, and some years you won't. Um, Things like apple scab, you can, which is is a fungal, you can. Um, help by mulching the soil and keeping the tree trimmed so that it's well above the soil because quite often the fungi's overwinter in the soil yeah, and, and then, then they, splash, they splash up when you start when it rains or when you start watering. So there are some things like that that you can do, but the standard fungal sprays are copper or lime sulphur, but you can't use lime sulphur once there are leaves on the tree because that'll burn the leaves. So you're saying that in the winter yeah. I should spray it with copper sulphate? Yeah, uh, look, it depends whether you're organic. Copper sulfate is not an organic spray, but copper hydroxide is. Oh, um, uh, can you buy copper? Yes, you hydroxide? can. Just ask. Just ask at your local nursery. All right, hydroxide. <clears throat> hydroxide. Hydroxide is an allowable organic input. Copper sulfate is not. All right. Well, panel, as as before and as you've said to everyone, you solve all our problems. Ah. <laughs> well, at least some of your horticultural ones maybe, Val. <laughs> so you're ma- magicians of the garden. Oh, good on you, so, Val. Anyway, all have a lovely Christmas and I hope it's not too hot. Yep. Uh, because otherwise it'll spoil it, won't it? Oh, well, it mightn't for everybody, but I mean... Being 83 and staying inside is all all I can do. Yeah, fair enough too. Yeah, so anyway, I'll catch you in February. Have a lovely Christmas, everyone. Thank you, Val, and you too. Bye. Bye.
Right, we have uh, John who's in Blackburn. Good morning, John. Oh, good morning. Um, Merry Christmas to everyone. Thank you. Uh, I, I just uh, rang with a basically a gratuitous opinion on uh, Penny's comment on elders. That, right. Uh, if they, uh, in, in sort of coastalish situations, they, they won't fruit. I, I tried growing elders, well, elderberries for a long time because I wanted to make elderberry wine, and that was my experience. Uh, I, you know, in Blackburn, they they grew okay, but uh, they didn't do much in the way of fruiting. And when you do that, you get very conscious of uh, if you ever do see a plant that's fruiting well, you think, hmm, I wonder how they did that. Mm. Um, and the two really wonderfully fruiting plants that I've, elders that I've seen are um, one in the Adelaide Botanic Gardens, which isn't there anymore, and one, even more surprisingly, in the Brisbane Botanic Gardens. <laughs> I, I, I think that one might be a slightly different variety. I think yeah. there's a, a sort of semi-almost evergreen variety, which may be what they grow there. But, but anyway, I, I just think the, the elderberry story may be a bit more complicated than that. Yep. Mm. yep. And then in the end, it'll... I gave up and made elderflower wine, and I decided I liked liked that better anyway. <laughs> and um, my own plants did produce well once, and that was in 2010 or 11 when we got all that rain after all those dry years. So, right. Yeah. It's a yeah. The elders story, did enjoy that season. Yeah. 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 Okay. That's great, John. Yeah, Thank anyway, you. That, Look, that, it's that's, that's my two bobs worth. Yeah. So yes, happy one Christmas, of... and I'll keep up the good work. Thanks, John. It's one of the things that you find with mm. plants is that you never say never with anything because, no. you know, they've always done something somewhere <sighs> that is totally unpredictable. Or somebody will tell you they've grown something that they shouldn't be able to grow and flowered it and fruited it and done all the things that they shouldn't be able to do in an area. And you're right, you should never say never. Yep, <laughs> yep, exactly. Okay, we have uh, Darlene in Druin. Good morning, Darlene. Um, good morning. Um, I'm so glad that I've gotten on today. Um, I'm suffering hay fever as well, so I'll be trying those um, couple of things. Right. Um, but my problem is um, I've got a lot of plants that need going in, and I heard a couple of weeks ago about buying. So if someone put up that you have um, a tub and put soil in it, and then you put your plants in it. Um, and I'm just wondering, do you actually put holes in the bottom of the tub, or is it just um, soil, and then put your um, um, pots in? I don't know who it was who said it. It was about two weeks ago. Uh, are you talking about wicking beds, by any chance? No, not wicking beds, okay. because I've got all these pots. They said don't... You know, pot plant are not there, there to go in the garden. They said, don't put them in because we're going to have a yep. terrible yes. um, so this summer. So is, this is keeping them um, alive, alive during, during, yes. the, dr- during the dry. Yeah. Um, no, I can't remember. I, I thought Stephen might have been there, but maybe not. Certainly not something I remember talking about. Oh, um, and I have I to say, I, I, that sounds like an awful lot of work to go to for... Mm dealing with plants i mean i don't do that with all my nursery plants and i've got thousands of them um if i've got something that needs a fair bit of water during the summer though a lot of people say i don't put pots in sources of water but certainly at this time of the year when it's hot like it is you'll do no harm with most plants unless they're succulents or something like that um just sitting them in a saucer with some water under it and that way it will keep them going for an extra day or two without watering and and i've got plants that i am not putting in now because it's too Mm. hot and i just keep them in a spot where they just get a bit of morning sun and that's it 
So, oh, well, that's where they are now, and they've been there for ages, and there's still there's a couple that aren't looking too good. But, they were, yeah, it was just a couple of weeks ago, and it mm. was you just put the soil in and pop, pop them... Um, the soil around the pots, and I was just wondering, did well, you that, that drain would it? certainly keep them cool, but yeah, you w- certainly wouldn't want them sitting in wet soil all the time because that's when you start oh, getting okay. fungal and mould problems. So, um, but as Stephen says, I, I'm not sure that it's worth the effort of, of yeah, doing that. It's an that awful lot to do. I mean, the, 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 the issue too is you've got to remember that uh, as roots fill pots, they yep. can sometimes end up with, with, and particularly if the soil shrinks from the edges of the pots, the issue yep. can often be that the pots, in fact, you're watering, but they're not doing well because the roots are staying dry. And okay. so yep. if you've got that issue coming up uh, or happening, uh, yep. then every so often it pays to have just a big tub of water and dunk them in. Yeah, to, dunk them in too. and wait till all of the air bubbles go out yep. before you take them out again. Um, and, and that can help quite a bit as well. Um, but certainly I, I would sit a lot of things in sources for the summer. Uh, for the I certainly summer. wouldn't leave them in that for over the, after the summer. Um, no. I do that with some of my ornamental bamboos. I sit mm. them in a saucer of water mm. uh, and they love it. Mm. Um, mm. But if you put them into a big container with more soil around them, the big issue yeah. you're going to have there is that the roots it's are going to go out the bottom. through the bottom oh, yeah. of the pots yeah. into the yeah. new soil. And then you've got the issue of having to deal with them later on. Yes. Um, and you're going to disturb roots and all sorts of stuff. So it could be a bit counterproductive if, uh, if you do it the wrong way. Okay. Well, thank you for a wonderful show. Um, I enjoy my Sunday mornings. Good. And um, have a great time over the Christmas period. Okay. Thank you very much. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Yes, well, pot plants are going to be something mm. of an issue over the next few months, they are. I know, because, yes. you know, with this sort of weather, I mean, yesterday at the nursery, I went round in the morning, I mean, virtually watered every pot in mm. the nursery by hand, went yep. round and watered them. Mid-afternoon, I was at it again. Mm. And going around and rewatering mm. again because it just dries out so quickly. That's Particularly right. when you've got the wind with the hay. Oh, yeah. oh, yes. Yeah, it just takes the moisture straight out of the plant. Mm. So, you know, people think that they're watering plants enough, but sometimes you're just not in a pot because mm. uh, it just disappears so quickly. Mm. So, you know, you do have to be prepared to water quite a bit if you're going to keep things in good condition over the summer months in pots. Exactly. So, just the way it is. Yes, yes, that's right. We've had a query on the outside line. Um, someone's got a gardenia with brown tips on the leaves. In a, It's in a pot. Um, is it too much or too little water? Probably. Yes, <laughs> one or the other. <laughs> it's really hard to say. I mean, it might not be either of those things. It might just be getting too much light and it might have just been burnt with the heat. I don't know how yes, long the ago the leaves. could have been just burnt. Yeah. Um, I mean... We did get some really hot weather early in the spring, which was actually we an did. issue yes. because a lot of things were still very soft. Yes. And so a lot of things burnt because they got heat on them when it was far too early. Uh, and so it could have been that. Um, if the tips are burnt, I would have thought uh, if we're saying too much or too little water, it's more likely to be too little. Uh, yeah. But you can't. But no, you know, it's, seeing it. it depends, you know, whether you've got it sitting in a saucer, mm. if that saucer is always full of water then yeah. it may well be too much water. But if it's not sitting in a in a saucer and it flows through relatively yeah. quickly, then it's probably too little yeah. water. So I've, I've actually had the same problem with the ginkgo that I got ah, from yes, you, yep. you know, that beautiful, yes, beautiful yes, ginkgo. Yes, yes, the lovely ginkgo. I potted it up into a big pot and um, I had it sitting in a saucer and all the tips of the leaves went brown and I decided that it was... Mm. too much water could be yep. so i removed the saucer um and 
it's still not entirely happy. So, I, it, and it was in a full sun position. Mm. It was getting pretty hot. So I've now moved it into a shadier position. And sometimes it takes a while yeah, to, to work out and, what's yes. happening with with the pot. Even someone who oh, yeah. is really experienced with it, you know, you you look at them and you think, mm. you know, what is it that? Yes. <laughs> please well, talk to you're me. Not happy. I have to <laughs> say, it, look, even as a commercial nurseryman, why is it that I can have a whole crop of plants? Yep. All propagated from the same stock plant, so genetically identical. All growing in the same size pot, in the same potting mix with the same fertiliser, the same watering regime, and one will die in the middle. Yes. You know, I don't know. It just yep. does. Mm. You know, so sometimes there are things that just sort of happen, and mm. you've just got to be able mm. to go, all right, well, it's happened. I don't quite know why. It's one of life's little mysteries. Now we move on because, yep. you know, of course, once something actually has gone to that point, well, there's no point in worrying about it. No. It's gone. Yep. And, yep. and it happens to me regularly. You'll have just that one plant that for some reason or another will fail. Uh, and it could have been doing just as well as the others. They could have all looked exactly the same, and then that one goes. Yes. And... You know, I mean, I'm not a scientist and I can't sit down and do sort of scientific experiments and I can't sort of check for things in the soil and what have you. But if they're all in the same sorts of conditions, you'd expect them to all perform in a similar sort of way. And they don't always. So it's just one of those things. For me, I have a ginkgo in the garden that survives in one of my driest spots in the garden. It's growing under trees. And I just thought, you know, this plant is the toughest, Mm. one of the toughest plants that you can possibly grow. Mm. They survive almost anything. Um, but obviously something was wrong with where I've yeah. got it in this pot, so mm. I'm still working on that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it all takes time. Yeah. Actually, speaking of ginkgos, um, there's a newish one that's just recently become available called Marrican, uh, and it's a little miniature one. Okay, how ah. gorgeous. And you can buy it grafted onto a standard, so you can actually buy it as sort of a ball on a stick, right. or you can buy it grafted near ground level, and it just makes this wonderful little gnarly sort of bush. Almost a bonsai without having to bonsai. Exactly. So yeah. if you're looking for an interesting pot plant, um, uh, or dare I say something, instead of having uh, box bushes clipped mm. into balls on either side mm. of your front steps or whatever, yep, yep. these little miniature ginkgos could be well worth looking at. And the leaf is very, very rounded with mm. the same sort of serrations around the, the mm. top of it. And they sit almost like little cockle shells all the way yeah. up the stems. Oh, and it's really cute. I'm really impressed with this new it's, dwarf and the, one. One of the lovely things about ginkgos is the yellow, the buttery oh. yellow. Oh, the colour yes. that they turn in autumn. Yes. And I, I came Gorgeous. across a photo on the internet recently showing a huge ginkgo tree. And it was um, after the leaves had all fallen. Oh, but yes. it was this carpet yes. of gold yes. on the ground. And wow. It I saw a similar leaves. thing at the Albury oh. Botanic Gardens. Just, yeah, and there's a fabulous one oh. in the Geelong Botanic Oh, yeah, the one in Geelong. Long's good, but the one at Albury isn't as big as the one in, in Geelong. But the thing I like about the Albury tree is it's right out in the middle of a lawn mm. all by itself. And so when it does start to shed leaves, you get this sort of silhouette of gold on the ground yeah. with the, the gold above. Yeah. And if you hit it just at the right time, mm. especially with the light shining through it, oh. it's breathtaking. Yeah, and yes. the gold leaves tend to hold their goldness. Mm. They don't brown off as quickly as some leaves do. So yeah. that's mm. why you get this. Yeah. So Gorgeous I've, trees. Yeah. I love them. I love ginkgo. Yeah, yeah, I think they're a really wonderful plant. And one could argue that you're reintroducing a native. Well, that's true. <laughs> Seeing as they found them in long co- time yeah, ago. Coal, yeah. coal deposits have ginkgo leaves in them. <laughs> yes, so, you know, yes. so they were here once yes. upon a time. Yes. Um, and it's actually one of those plants. It's like the Willamai pine and mm. uh, the dawn redwood and, and a lot of these iconic plants that were known from things like fossil remains 
nobody in their right mind thought they were they're still there somewhere. They just assumed mm. they were extinct species. Mm. And then suddenly you come across this plant as a living, growing thing. I mean, it is like discovering a dinosaur. It's just mm-hmm. remarkable. Mm. And the ginkgo in its time created every bit as much uh, interest as the Wilmai pine has yeah. now. Yes, yeah. You know, it was truly when it was a, first refound. Yeah, yeah. It, it was a megastar yeah. of horticulture, and everybody had to have a ginkgo. Mm. Uh, it was just, you know, the the de rigueur tree, um, and the ginkgos have proven themselves to be wonderful trees at that. I mean, they've thrown botanical diversity since they've been mm. coming into horticulture. So there's miniature ones, there's weeping ones, there's variegated ones, there's a very nice pencil one There's that goes mm. up like a poplar, so if you're looking for a vertical tree, they're uh, pollution-resistant. Mm. So in a lot of polluted cities, they're using yep. them as street trees and they're surviving yep. very well. Um, and as Penny mentions, they, they seem to be pretty pretty drought tolerant once they get their roots down um, and so I think they're a, a very mm. worthy tree and uh, and they look just so different to anything else yeah. yes they Indeed. do yeah. yeah so they have that charm you know people who don't know a ginkgo they look at it and go what's that weird thing and then when you explain to them that it's actually a conifer relative they think you're nuts anyway because it doesn't look anything like a conifer um, and yeah so there's a story behind it and it's a, a fascinating group of plants yep yep, yep. You're listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. We're running through until 9.15, so plenty of time if people want to jump on the phones, give us a call. The number is 94190155. We've got Stephen Ryan, Penny Woodward in the studio this morning, so we'd love to hear from you, 94190155. We'll go next to uh, Laurie, who's in North Melbourne. Good morning, Laurie. Good morning. It's Laura. Oh, sorry, Laura. That's all right. Um for Stephen, yeah, I have the two um, Greek cyclamen yeah. that you sold to somebody that passed through several people, and I now have them. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, now I remember you said to plant it in the garden. Yeah. But full sun. Or what? Uh, with cyclamen graecum, yes, you can put them out in full sun. Uh, they don't need it, but they'll cope with it quite well as long as the tubers are buried reasonably deeply. And About when six I say inches? Re- of yeah, two inches, maybe. Oh, two inches, yeah. right. Yeah, make sure they're well below the ground yes. is the main thing. Mm. And then I would mulch them. Uh, I like to mulch them actually with a gravel mulch um, right. for the graecum ones. Yes. Um, but, you know, just a, an ordinary leafy mulch is fine too. Um, and they will be perfectly happy. You don't water them at all during the summer. Uh, you just leave them completely dry. Uh, and as soon as we get our first autumn rains and the weather starts to cool down and the days start to shorten, even if we haven't actually had much rain, they'll suddenly erupt with flowers. Right. And they're easygoing little plants and they will self-seed and naturalise if they're happy where you've put them. Now, if they can't have any water in the summer... That's difficult. Well, not really, because if you do plant them nearby to a large shrub or tree, mm. they won't see much of that water because it'll be right. grabbed by the root system of the of the shrub or tree nearby. So it's not something I go out of my way to water them, but if they happen to be under the sprinkler or under the hose when I'm watering something else, as long as there's a root system of something else growing nearby, mm. it will take up that moisture. And as long as, the, I mean, how many of us have soil that stays wet in the summer? I mean, no. you know, uh, no. if only. Certainly <laughs> yes. not in North Melbourne. No, no, so I wouldn't worry too much about that, but you, the trick is not to go out of your way to water them. Right. You know, if they cop a bit from something else, well, it doesn't really matter. Right, good. So that's the main things. And, look, it's one of the toughest little plants. I mean, once it gets going, the Greek cyclamen, I think, are 
a must for Melbourne Gardens, and yet very few people know of them or grow them. Mm. Um, but they'll cope with the hottest, driest weather we have because they're dormant. So, you know, they disappear underground. So 45 degrees, they'll laugh at it. Um, And they flower reliably every autumn and their foliage is stunning. I've seen the foliage, yes. It's wonderful. Okay. All right. All right, best of luck with those. Bye. Bye. Uh, First up, Penny, a listener wants you to mention the wax wax bags. Wax paper bags um, I get from Green Harvest and that's www.greenharvest.com.au. They're a Queensland company. Yeah, and they, they do, do a all whole sorts of stuff, don't they? Mm. Really good things. They also, one of the other things that I use, they um, do these sleeves made of um, a win- a window screen wire. Oh, so yeah. the plastic right. wire, and they sew them down one side, and you can use them. You know how some fruits you get them all the way down a stem, like apples? Yes. Mm. You can put a sleeve over a whole branch of apples, and you just slide it up the branch oh, yeah. and put the sleeve over and tie it at either end. And it well, stops, stops fruit fly as, all the way through to all sorts of things. They're not, mm. it, you know, a really persistent cockatoo will chew through it, but, mm. um, they're, you know, they're enough to stop most things. Certainly the blackbirds and other things that just take pecks out of things oh. and yes, ruin the fruit, yes. it will stop them. Okay. So they've they've got a whole range of different stuff yeah. that you can try. And so. if they've got a, a, a website thing, well, you can go in and have a look at their yeah, whole yeah, list. Yeah, and can't they you? just mail order it anywhere in Australia. Yeah. So mm. you know, and the, as I said, these particular bags are not at all expensive. Yeah. So Green Harvest. Green Harvest. Is that good. shouldn't be too hard. In fact, I yeah. guess if you just Googled Green, Green Harvest, Harvest, it would come up. It would come up. Yeah. I would actually just put it into a search engine, yeah. not Google it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Because <laughs> I use DuckDuckGo, which is a totally different one. Oh, do you? Oh God. Uh, I don't even know what half those. Firefox, because you don't get tracked all the time. And I've put DuckDuckGo over the top of it. And um, so people don't know what I'm doing because I don't uh, like being oh. tracked by advertisers. Not yeah. that I'm trying to do it. Yeah, I was going to say, what nefarious things have you been up no, to, Penny Woodward? I just don't like being tracked by advertisers. <laughs> yeah, I having, don't blame you, actually. And it's, having yeah. advertisements thrown at me all the time. So I don't use Google. Mm. Okay. So, there you go. All right. Whatever search engine you're using, just put in Green Harvest. I'm yes. sure it'll be fine. <laughs> all uh, right. Uh, the next query we've got is uh, all about sweet potatoes. Um, a listener has tried to, uh, to in a pot, yeah. second year, um, look, leaves you won't, get, you won't get decent tubers in a pot. You'll struggle to get decent mm. tubers in our climate in the soil. Yes. Um, in, in the community gardens in central Melbourne where they get lots of reflected heat, it's often warm enough to, mm. and they can, if you can get the soil good enough um, to get decent tubers by the end of the season. But really they're a tropical plant mm. and you're going to struggle to get decent tubers um, unless you have a particular year that is just perfect for for um, sweet potatoes. So, and pots aren't big enough to grow them in. They need space. They do need. Yes, lots they of space, do need lots they? of space. Yeah. yeah. And of course, in Melbourne, a lot of people harvest the leaves, and it's the yeah. leaves they use. Yeah. yeah. And and you, as Pam and I have both experienced, if you see the the people who grow the sweet potatoes and use them for the leaves, they actually peel the stems. And it's extraordinary watching them do it, but I've tried it and it took me so long that I ended up <laughs> you gave up. Yeah, <laughs> I gave up. Yeah, so, yeah, it's obviously so, a knack. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, yeah, look, it's um, they're an interesting plant to grow. Oh, and they I, are. I think it's worth having a go at them, but you aren't going to get good produce in a pot. Yeah, yep. and you do have to go into these things 
with your eyes open, yeah. don't you? I mean, it can be fun doing any of these things, yeah. growing plants you shouldn't have, you know, whether it be sweet potatoes or Canterbury Bells, it doesn't really yeah. matter. You just need to know what you're putting yourself in for mm. uh, so that you're not too disappointed if it yeah. doesn't all work. I mean, yeah. it's all the fun of the growing, isn't it, really? Yep, yep, yep. exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay, as I mentioned, that uh, phone number, if you'd like to join us this morning, nine four one nine zero one double five. Penny, you've got... Some I did. There. I just yes. I just quickly ran out in the garden because it was daylight when I left this morning. <laughs> just, yes. so it was just enough to be able to see. Um, and I was looking at what was doing well because okay. it's such a struggle in mm. this intense heat. And the two two groups of plants that were doing really well and actually in flower and looking good at the moment are the Santalinas, which is also known as cotton lavender. This one is Santalina rosmarinifolia, um, but primrose mm. gem. And it has lovely colour, beautiful um, pale lemon yellow. Because yeah, most of them are flowers. quite a rather They're gaudy bright, yellow. Yeah. Yes, um, and lovely coral-like grey foliage. So mm. it's a really pretty plant in the garden. But this is growing in, in what I call my dry bed, where I've got some alliums and some santalinas and some rosemaries and some thymes that are and oreganos, which is the other one I wanted to mention. Um, and they don't get a lot of water. They get a bit of deep watering maybe twice a week, and that's it. I don't I don't hand. Mm water them um and they're doing they're doing beautifully and um this is and there are some particularly nice santalinas around at the moment and i know that lambley does a nice range of mm. them they have quite a few do you do you do santalinas or no, is it too no. cold i i find they they sort of get scruffy and fall yeah. apart really quickly okay. for me as yeah. pretty as they are i mean i did play with them for a while but i just don't find they do well yeah, i've got Mason. a dwarf one that doesn't yeah, you're, mm. it, they're probably in areas where they do really strong prolific yeah. growth. They're probably not as good. They prefer yeah, they need to be kept a bit tight. drier and mm. they and they stay a bit tighter. Um, I've got a dwarf form which has a much stronger, more corally foliage. Mm, sounds good. And it stays quite low, and that one doesn't doesn't fall. But mm. certainly the other ones do fall. But look, the other family are the oreganos, mm. and the oreganos are just doing brilliantly in the mm. garden at the moment. They're just starting to come into flower when everything else is sort of falling in a heap yes. because of the heat. Um, and there's a whole range of different oreganos, quite apart from the culinary ones. And and if they, although they're usually sold as ornamental oreganos, if they have a flavour, you can still use them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's any, no poisonous one, is there? No, <laughs> as long any oregano that has has a scent um, can be used in in cooking or mm. in any way that you like. This is. And I actually can't remember the name of this one, but it has a lovely pale pink flower and it's quite upright. So, and again, this one came from Lamley's. So, um, but there are some beautiful oreganos, yeah. and they're a great insect attracting plant as Indeed. well, aren't they? Yep, mm. and they're one of the few that will flower right through the summer with mm. very little attention. Mm. Yeah. So, I would recommend if you're looking for things that are going to cope with this really dry mm. weather, those are a couple. And some of those actually in. would be really good if you are having trouble keeping things alive in pots. Mm. Some of the oreganos could be quite yeah. good, you know, because they will. In pots. Yeah, they'll cope with drying out a bit. Yep. I've got Dittany of Crete growing in a. Uh, stone trough yeah uh, and it's hanging over the edge of the stone trough nearly everything else in the stone trough is bulbous so it's all yeah. died down yep. uh, so there's some cyclamen in there in fact i've tried to do a bit of a cretion thing i've got ditney of crete growing there i've got calaminta cretica growing in it yeah. and i've got cyclamen creticum growing okay. in it so i've got my little cretion uh yes. <laughs> thing going um and because i don't want to overwater the the cyclamen and so forth the the ditney doesn't get much watering it, mm. i just sort of direct a little bit of water into the edge of the trough every so often if it's it's looking mm. a bit on the dry side, and it's flourishing. Mm. 
and cops the hot but afternoon sun. One of the good things about things like stone troughs and, and terracotta, mm. you know, solid stone pots, is that they do help to keep the root ball a bit cooler. They do. So yeah. that if you're if you're growing things in big plastic pots, that root ball can get really hot because the black plastic yeah, absorbs soaks up the all heat. the heat. That's mm. right. Whereas if a good solid stone trough, you yeah. know, really does help. To I just love a nice stone trough in yes. the garden, but they're yeah. so hard to get. <laughs> they uh, are. <laughs> and, and move. Once and move, yes. It. Well, they've got to stay where you put them, which is no, quite a good thing. but even going, if someone's got one, just yeah. going and collecting it oh. and getting it into the car or the ute or whatever. Yeah. And well, I know the ones I've got it. in the garden at home, I've got two stone troughs that I actually grow plants in, and I've got one that was hollowed out and is... is uh, has no drainage holes, so it's like a little yep. bird bathy one, and they are so beautiful in the garden. But I remember getting them into place. I mean, the guy who who got them for me, it was virtually block and tackles, and yep. you know all that sort of thing yes. to get them in place. They're never going to be moved. No, they're going to stay exactly where they are. Yes, uh, and they look gorgeous, and I'm really happy with that. <laughs> but yeah, the good thing is nobody can nick them either. Yeah. <laughs> so once you've got them in place, you know nobody's going to walk in and carry them off on you. Mm. But uh, they are lovely things to have, mm. and and I'm really pleased with my ditney of creatures. I have to say, it's the cutest little thing. Mm. Really pretty. Mm. And of course, the, the the people from Crete think it's a panacea for everything. Yeah. Apparently, you can cure everything with Dittany. Yeah. Yes. You know, from leprosy to God knows what. Uh, <laughs> but it's a pretty little plant, and it's mm, yeah. a, a nice oregano, and you don't see it round very often. No, and it can be quite hard to get. There's also a um, Cretan savoury, which Aye. is a really nice plant. Mm. So you should probably add that. I need the Cretan savoury, obviously. You yes, do. if I've got <laughs> the calaminta and I've got the the oregano and I've got the cyclamen, you're yep. right. I need to go for the. the you remind me. Is it a quad factor? <laughs> <laughs> I'll bring you in a cutting. Oh, I'd love if to have you a cracker. Remind me. All right, I'll try and remind you, Penny. <laughs> I, I do recommend, though, that, that people have a look at the family of oregano because yep. some of them are just oh, stunning. Are it's yep. a brilliant, brilliant group. And there's been some wonderful breeding done on them yes. over yes. the last sort of 15 or 20 years. Yeah. Uh, and I certainly know David Glenn at Lambley has got some really good forms. He's got some forms. fabulous yes. ones. Yeah. And, and also I think they have been bringing them in from the, some of the Indigenous mm. plants from places like Greece yeah. and Crete, and so that they're proven plants that yeah. do really well in those climates. So, yeah, they're, they're terrific plants. Yeah, so there you go. Okay, let's go next to Mary in Sunshine. Good morning, Mary. Good morning. Um, it's a question, I suppose, to Stephen and Penny. Um, I'm not having much luck with dahlias. Mm. I've got one growing in a pot, and it, it's been there, and... You know, I get the leaves looking very lush, but it never, never flowers. Yeah. Um, How big is the pot you're growing it in, Mary? Sorry? How big is the pot you're growing the day? Uh, I'm not good at dimensions, Stephen, but it's a smallish sort of a pot, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, well, that would be my first... Not thing. too small. It's sort of medium, I suppose. Yeah, well, if you're going to grow dahlias in pots, they need a fairly large pot, they need a very rich potting mix, and they need oodles of water. Well, I've given them oodles of water, and I did put them in, into a, a premium potting mix. So yeah. uh, but I have you been feeding them as well? It. Beg your pardon? Have you been feeding it as well? Probably not. Yeah, because dahlias are very greedy from... plants. Sorry? They're very greedy plants. Oh, okay. Uh, and if you're going to grow them well in a pot, they do need quite a lot of nutrient to keep them going. And I might add, dahlias do not cope with 45 degrees very well. Uh, they'll also scorch and burn mm. and what have mm. you. Um, and uh, they're probably better in the open ground than they are in pots because well, they... Well, but St- Stephen, I've also um, got bulbs from when my mother was alive. Mm. She had those really 
tall growing dahlias and I took those bulbs and I planted them in the ground mm-hmm. and they, they're not doing well at all. They haven't flowered either. Yeah, but they're probably tree dahlias and they don't flower until the autumn. Yeah, but they haven't even flowered in autumn either. Did they get to full height? Did they get no, to sort of three metres or so? To, it, no. I just don't think you've got enough richness and uh, of soil and moisture to, to, probably what it to is. pop them up because tree dahlias in general are pretty tough old things. Uh, they'll actually cope with a fair bit of dryness and heat, uh, but they do need a fairly good soil if you're going to push them up to their full size. Mm. And, and of course, they don't flower till quite late you're in the season either. You're right. My soil is... It needs a lot of work. Yeah, we'll see all it's that sort very of... very clay and, uh, yeah, it needs a lot of cultivation. Yeah, yeah, all those sort of suburbs through sort of Sunshine and St Albans and, you know, getting up north, the soils are not great. Well, uh, my mother had, when she was alive, she had absolutely no problems. Everything flourished and particularly her dahlias, yeah. Yeah, yeah but she may have spent years improving her soil. She probably did, yeah. yeah. I mean, a lot of those people did. I mean, you know, I, I'm sort of smug about the soil I've got, but then it's only taken me 30 years to <laughs> yeah. create it. Yes, yeah. me too. <laughs> you know, so you know, so you get to the point, you say, all right, well, now I've got reasonably good soil, I can do what I need to do. But it has taken me an awful long time. I mean, unless you are seriously wealthy, you can go out and buy some really good soil from uh, and, and live on that soil. Uh, we tend to inherit the soil that our block has, and then you've got to work on it. Mm. And, you know, dahlias like a friable open soil, but they like ample moisture. Uh, a clay soil is a better soil to start with for dahlias, I have to say, than a sandy one. Um, but you need to break that clay soil up and get lots of humus into it. Uh, I'd even put some gravel through it to help open it up a bit um, and really work on the ground what if you're going to gravel. What gravel do you recommend, Steve? If you can get it, the very best gravel you can dig into your garden is scoria. Mm. Uh, Quarter-inch scoria rocks. Where do you buy that in the Well, maybe there's some 60s driveways around people would be happy to get rid of. Um, (laughs) Look, you you still probably can buy scoria from some of the soil and sand places, I would imagine. Mm. Yes. Um, And uh, the reason I suggest scoria is that it's a porous rock, so it will hold a little bit of moisture. Mm. Uh, It's also a volcanic rock, so it's really high in in trace elements and and minerals Minerals. and so forth. I mean, that's part of the reason why scoria driveways went out of fashion, because it was the best place to grow weeds, mm. you know, because they grew like mad. Oh, well, apart from the fact that you walked it in on your white shag pile as well, which didn't work very well. Um, but scoria is really fantastic stuff if you can get it. And, I mean, there were scoria pits out in Digger's Rest and, and going towards Melton and all through our side of Melbourne mm. uh, at one stage. I don't know whether they're still functioning or not. But scoria is the best. But any coarse gravel or, sa- or really coarse sand will help. Okay. So I waste nothing. I mean, if I was cleaning out the fish tank and decided that the aquarium sand needed replacing, I'd dig the aquarium sand into the garden. Oh, okay. So I wouldn't waste anything. Uh, But if you're specifically going out and looking for a product, then quarter-inch scoria would be ideal if you could get it. Can I I just also add, going back to the dahlia in the pot, even though you buy a premium potting mix, if that potting mix has been sitting on the shelf for six months, yeah. the chances are the bacteria in the potting mix, which are really important to mm. the potting mix, have actually used up all the nutrient in the bag. Oh, so goodness. you need, not all potting mix mm. bags are dated, um, so you need to add extra nutrients mm. if it's been sitting there for a while. I, these mm. days, I when I buy potting mix, I don't buy it with fertiliser in it. Mm. I add my add own fertiliser because yep. then I know do exactly you? what I'm giving to my plants. So I'm saving on cost as well. I, you? Well, yeah, you that's do. right. I buy the best quality potting mix I can get with the standardised ticks on it. I don't get it with water 
granules in it because they're not organic and I don't get it with fertiliser in it. That's interesting. Well, so see, I buy my of... potting mix in 10-metre truckloads and there's yeah. no way I want to have the fertiliser already in there no. because it takes quite a long time to use up that 10 metres. Yep. And so by the time I do, even if I have one of the slow-release fertilisers like Osmocote or something mm. in it, um, it's all gone by the time I get to yep. the bottom of the... That's yeah, because they're living; yeah. they're a living mixture. Yeah. So, so you know, Penny, you the to... next question: What sort of fertilizer do you put in the potting mix? Um, look, it's a, it's a bit of a mixture. I usually mix in before I pot something up. I usually put in some of my compost, so homemade compost. Yeah. Um, and well, I... I always use my homemade compost. But, yeah. Um... Well, I I sort of do a fifty fifty mix oh, with okay. mine, um, and then I also will use some pelletized organic fertilizer. Mm. Um, and I use as the things are growing. I use things like um, like the worm juice. Um, I sometimes mm. um, sometimes comfrey leaves. I'll add a mulch a, a sort of on the surface as they gradually mm. break down. And I always um, mulch the top of my pots as well to try and keep the moisture in. Oh, okay. Mm. Thank you very very much. Uh, do do enjoy listening to the program and. Uh, to Stephen's advice and to yours, Penny, with all the herbs. I'm very interested in herbs. So. Good on you, oh, Well, the best of luck Thank with you. your day is because they Christmas are and a happy showy. year to, to, to all of you there. In, in It's a lovely program. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Mary. Mary. Right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, Mary. Oh, our listeners are so nice. They, they are they? very sweet. Yes. They are. <laughs> <laughs> I must uh, remind you all, we are running through until 9.15. You are tuned to the 3CR Gardening Show. We've got Stephen Ryan and Penny Woodward in the studio. So do give us a call if you'd like to ask a gardening question or if you'd like to make comment at all. Stephen, we've got a chance to talk about a couple more plants yeah. you've got. All right. Uh, we might talk about this one. Um, most people are familiar with Ostromerias, yes. uh, the Peruvian lilies. Uh, some of them can be quite weedy, particularly the old yellow and orange Ostromeria or Antiarchus, which has taken over half of Mount Macedon. Um, but they make fabulous cut flowers. Mm. Uh, and there are lots of interesting species out there that you don't see grown very much. I have to say I have some reservations about some of the new hybrids they're producing, which are dwarf hybrids with full-size flowers on them. They sort of look a bit odd to me. Mm. And part of the fun of Ulstromeries normally is that you get long enough stems to use them as cut flowers, so miniature versions thereof seem to have lost their point a little bit. Yes. Um, but there are some naturally wild dwarf fir species that come from higher reaches of the Andes because these are all South American plants. Um, and um, um, this one here is one called Ulstromeria presleriana variety australis, which is oh. quite a mouthful. Uh, but it's quite a pretty strong pink flower mm. with the classical sort of Slightly. markings in the yes, flower yeah, that the Ulstromeries get, yep. uh, sort of yellow inside, and then these sort of dark brownie bronze sort of striations on the top three petals and they flower for weeks um it will slowly make a, a sideward moving colony of tubers underneath it so you'll end up with a sort of a colony of it and it will only grow to round about the 30 centimeters tall at the at the tallest uh it's still tall enough to pick um and for me the flowers are of a size that's in scale with the plant and i think this is where hybridizers often go wrong they produce something because for some reason or other there seems to be a market for a dwarf one but they end up with these big gross flowers that mm. that don't look natural they don't 
I mean, if they're on a taller stem, you could sort of get away with them, but they just look wrong somehow, whereas nature's already done it. Yes. So you don't have to produce a dwarf version of the big ones. Mm. Um, you know, nature's already created all sorts of interesting dwarf Ulstrom areas. Uh, in fact, there's some that come from the high Andes that flower at ground level. Okay. <laughs> so you just get this little tiny cluster of flowers that pop up out of the ground yeah. with a few little leaves around them. Right. So they are quite a big genus. Um, I have to say some of those high Andean ones are almost impossible to grow because mm. they're, they're very so specific. Particular oh, yeah. they're specific conditions that they require. I mean, I'd just as soon try and grow the rosulette violas from the Andes or some of those other mm. very high Andean plants. Um, but some of these ones that are sort of moderate in size, they seem to be reasonably easygoing plants. Um, they need a little bit of summer irrigation like most f- summer flowering perennials will. Uh, but they really repay for a little bit of effort uh, with lots and lots of very cheery flowers that will go right through until well after Christmas uh, and you'll have oodles to pick from. Um, and I just think they're really pretty. So Ulstromeria, Presleyana, variety Australis is that one. And there are other similar ones out there. There's one called Angustifolia, which looks almost identical to this. It's just got slightly more orangey colours in the pink, which makes it a little more vibrant. Um, and, yeah, if you really hunt around, there's some really interesting plants. Mm. So, mm. yeah, so Peruvian lilies, the Ulstromerias. Okay. Stephen, the colour of that one really reminds me of that um, canna that you brought in. Oh, yes. Because it's – I've – Got, got bought it from you, yeah. and it's been in flower. It's just beautiful yeah. in oh. the in the in my pond. Yeah. it's just kept flowering and flowering, and it's just yeah. looking fabulous oh, at the moment. In fact, I almost bought in another canna this morning because yeah. a lot of them are starting to flower now, and. Uh, there's wonderful things amongst those two. But th- this is a water-loving yeah. one, which yeah. is which I think is just great. Yeah, well, the water cannas are, are beautiful things, mm. and. Um, Hopefully there's a few more hybrids coming along so there'll be a variety of different colours available. And that one was Flamingo, wasn't it? Uh, No, that was Brolga Dance. Brolga, that's right. Yeah, Brolga Dance. That was a bird. You were close. A large bird, yes. (laughs) Yes, Brolga Dance. I think Flamingo should be the next one that's bred. Because it's pink. That's what made me think it was. Yeah, no, Brolga Dance is is that canna. Gorgeous. And they were all bred from Canna Glauca, which is a lovely grey-leafed one with soft primrose flowers. So they're really lovely things. And, again, cannas are a bit like dahlias. They... They, you could sort of plant them under a dripping tap with a horse next door. You know, they'll take any amount of fertiliser and any amount of water, and if you do that to them, they will grow exquisitely well and, and they'll repay for the time mm. and effort that mm. goes into them. And uh, I might add, I was up in Ballar- uh, Bendigo two weeks ago uh, and I was supplying the Bendigo Botanic Gardens with a selection of Australian bread canners, which because they're now holding the national collection of canners yes, for, yes. for garden plants conservation or plant trust, as we like to now call it. Um, so they don't want to have all the world's canners because they've been bred all over the place and there's far too many of them and they've already got quite a large collection. So what they're concentrating now on is getting Australian bread hybrids and species. To, to round out Fantastic. their collection. Mm. So I took them up, I think, 14 Australian hybrids that they didn't have. Okay. And the director's hopefully coming to see me in the next few weeks and he's going to pick up my species collection because all they've got is Canna Indica at the moment. Yeah. So I've got Glauca and I've got quite a few other species ones. Uh, so they're going to add those to the collection. So if you're interested in seeing Canners, mm. uh, Bendigo Botanic Gardens out at White Hill yeah. is worth a trip. Yeah. Um, they've certainly got some amazing old hybrids there. 
because uh, there was an Australian breeder called Cole, who I think his name was German, German, and it was with a K. Uh, but he anglicised it when he started breeding canners, so it spelt like Old King. Uh, and there were a whole range of Cole hybrids. They all had Cole in the name, so it was. I don't know, Jessica Cole or Frederick Cole or whatever. Okay. And I think Bendigo might be the last place that's still got some of the old Cole wow. hybrids because okay. they were bred, I think, between the wars. Yeah. Um, yep. So, yeah, so canners can be really interesting fun too. Yeah. GR Botanic yeah. Gardens do a good job on all sorts of levels, don't they? <sighs> they They're do. So Apart from just a nice place to go for a walk. Yeah, indeed. Mm. Yep, absolutely. Okay. Well, we're going to Hugh in the Yarra Valley. Good morning, Hugh. Good morning, Hugh. Did you hear that you, one of your fans had rung in earlier? No, I, I had a very, very horrible day yesterday. I've been running around, watering here, watering uh, there, uh, do this, do that. And that's how it went for 12, 13, 14, 15 hours. And um, I think I kept everything alive. Well done. But um, uh, I just sort of got up because the last night the minimum was... Uh, 31. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and I just have a, had a little bit of sleep and I just got up. I haven't even had breakfast. Mm. But Victoria, I just wish you all a very, very happy festive season and I wish all the best to the team at 3CR. Thank you. And um, I, I have another, uh, I wish you all the best and, and lots of luck and lots of happy, happy gardening for 2016. Thank you, Hugh. And uh, congratulations to the fantastic advice I had from Stephen with my jacaranda, which was eight foot high. Yeah, good. And when I got it, um, it stood there and stood there like a bloody monument. (laughs) And there was nothing, no movement whatsoever. And it had four tiny branches. And they asked, and I thought, my God, what can I do? But I couldn't scratch it because it's eight foot high. Mm-hmm. It's single stem, eight foot high. And um, when you said to put it into this, into the hot weather, into the hottest spot, which I did, it started shooting, but not from these old branches. New ones came out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, it, I think it is a very thirsty plant. When they're young and, and first establishing, they can be, but jacarandas are very drought-tolerant once they get going. Yeah, well, this one, I, I'm quite sure it is a very thirsty plant, so mm. I keep watering it up. Yesterday, in fact, I watered it three times. Yeah, fair enough. And you won't do it any harm doing that. Yes. Uh, did you say a German word with a K, coal? Yeah. Uh, K-O, uh, H-L? It could have been how it was print, how it was spelt in the original version, but he changed his name when he started breeding canners in Australia to C O L E. Um, so the the hybrids that you find here occasionally uh, are the coal hybrids, and they're actually well known overseas as well. So his his plants obviously got to England and all over the place, um, but they've almost died out of cultivation. So there's very few of the coal hybrids left. Uh, well, if it is spelled K O. Uh, HL, that that just means cabbage. <laughs> yes. Oh. Well, there you go. So he might have been Mr. Cabbage. I don't know. <laughs> we, we, we had a, a chancellor in the Federal Republic of Germany by the name Cabbage. Yes, name yes you Cole. did. You had Chancellor Cole, didn't you? Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, but my question is a little bit more, um, more uh, serious. I have a tropaculum. Yeah. Um, 
and I've got a number of them. Yeah. And they, they, they behave, I think, like a gloriosa lily. Yeah, they die down each season, yep. They die down, and like the gloriosa lily, they, they go to the bottom of the pot. They often do, yes. They find their way to the bottom. Well, how they do it in a 30-centimeter-deep pot that is one foot, how they can march from the thumb <laughs> deep to the bottom of a pot, it is as a mystery. Yeah, yeah. And look, I haven't, haven't uh, been able to sort that one out for myself either. I don't know how they manage it, but they do. Now, what I, my question now is with the tropaculum, uh, tricolor, um, there is another one that marches to the bottom of the pot, all 30 centimeters. Mm-hmm. Now, my question would be, um, the gloriosa and the tropaculum, they look almost the same. They're mm-hmm. yeah, sort of like a tuber. It's not a bulb. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, my question would be, shall I take those six, seven pots and just tip them over, fish out the the tubers and dry them, put them in a dry spot, or what shall I do? All right. Well, and look, it's, it's dependent a little bit on how you deal with things around your garden. I tip them out each year, go through the potting mix, find all my tubers, and I store them in a, in a box till February. Yeah, well, okay. And that's uh, what I do. And then I put them into fresh potting mix with fresh fertiliser and things because the issue with them is they tend to take up the nutrients that are within the pot in the current growing season. And if you leave them in the same pot, in the same potting mix, even with a little bit of supplementary feeding, they don't tend to be as good the following year. Yeah, I think I take that advice because um, I, I write huge labels to all my plants, huge labels, you know, there's that sort of three by six inches, you know, uh, and I write all the details on it, where I purchased it, what I paid for it, and so on and so forth. And it says here that I, last time they were reported was on the 16th of April 13th. And I think that is a little bit too long. Yeah, look, I, I would definitely also, do that. And also, it was in April. That is the fourth month. That is that was too late. Yeah. I think your advice to take it in February, I think, would be better. Well, I find actually, Hugh, sometimes even by the end of February, the tubers in the box that I've stored them in in the shed will have started to shoot. Yeah. Well, the other thing is uh, with the shooting. The gloriosa grows like a horseshoe, doesn't it? Yeah, more or less, yeah. Then you break it in the middle only if the end of the horseshoe has an eye. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, um, the, um, would you take the tropocolum and break that into half? No. No, you tend to find that the tubers themselves tend to, well, they'll sometimes be sausage-shaped or they'll be round potato-shaped ones, uh, and they'll sometimes be a string of them in the pot, and you can certainly break up the string of tubers, but never break tubers in half. Yeah, because um, they get some very odd shapes. Mm, yeah, but just leave them alone and, they'll be, and, and just repot them again in February. The other problem I have had with um, Arisima, I repotted some roses. I didn't want to do it, but I had to. And um, I found in there gloriosa bulbs. Now, uh, gloriosa, uh, sorry, I beg your pardon, I repeat that, take two. I found some erysema bulbs, Mm -hmm. but they are like a 
like a, a, a washed potato. You can't see where there is an eye. You just can't see it. There yeah. is none. There's so many tiny little dints, and they're not really an indication that that is the eye or the beginning of an eye. Hugh, if if you've got arasemas, let me explain this to you. If you've got arasema tubers, there is a really smooth side, which is the bottom, and there's a slightly bumpier, rougher side, which is the top. Yeah, and these ones which I got out, maybe they're not arasemas at all. They were flat, flat, right, like a squashed potato, Mm. uh, like a flat potato, if you like. And you, you say to yourself, right, one of the, of the two sides, of the flat sides, must be the top. And there is nothing. It is yeah. Well, that it's... doesn't sound like an arasema, Hugh. I think it's something else because arasemas always have a very smooth bottom and a rougher top. Yeah, and I had some doubts that they're arasemas. Mm. So what I did is I put them in a special pot and I have a wire with a red flag. And uh, I bought these wires with a red flag at Bunnings for, uh, they were about 50 in a packet, and they were only a dollar. Mm-hmm. And they're fantastic. And all, wherever I have a problem, I put this wire, which is about a foot long, 30 centimeters long, 300 mil long. And on top of it is a red flag, which is half the size of a postcard. So wherever I have a problem, I stick these wires in with a red flag, and that tells me there is something in here I don't know or something I have to be careful of or anything like that. Good idea, Hugh. So that's what I have done, as I just put them all in a separate pot. All right, well, you'll have to let us know what they are when they come up. And, Hugh, have a good Christmas. Thanks a lot. We've got lots of people waiting. Sorry, sorry, I beg your pardon. Enjoy yourself. Okay. Have a lovely time. Bye. Okay, thanks. Bye. Yes, everybody suddenly decided to ring in. So. Yes, at the last minute. And we're not going to get to all the calls, I don't think. But we'll quickly go to uh, Jill, who's in East Brighton. Good morning, Jill. Good morning, everyone. Um, yes, I, uh, I should have rung earlier. Um, but I just look, I hope you don't get bored with it, but I just want to, with everyone saying this, but you really are the most fabulous team and you do wonderful work and I so enjoy listening every week and I always learn something and usually several somethings and uh, one thing I was just just if I can briefly ask um, I'm actually drip watering the my ginkgo at the moment because I just planted it out this winter and it's it's and it's in full sun in a sandy bed because mm-hmm. uh, I'm on the in East Brighton on the sand belt um, do you think I need to coddle it a bit well or- I certainly wouldn't stint on the water for the first summer yeah um, and yeah. if you're on a sand belt you can virtually not overwater anything anyway no, like so, you i've been up morning noon and night you yeah know? so yeah so it certainly wouldn't hurt to Watering give it plenty of water this summer at least yeah yeah okay good good look thank you for that and thank you for everything you were just fabulous and extremely entertaining okay <laughs> thanks jill okay, bye bye right next rushing right along oh yes <laughs> we're going to uh lynn who's in windsor good morning lynn Good morning. I've just moved into a house with a huge apricot tree laden with apricots and I'm worried that fruit bats, possums and birds will beat me to it. They've already started with the half green ones. Can you take them off half green and then they'll ripen or what? The tree is too big to net. 
but what can I do? Um, I would be bagging some and ah, yeah. using these paper bags or even just brown paper bags. If you just go and buy a packet at the supermarket, you can put those on and you'll at least get some of them. Um, as soon as they start getting some decent orange in them, you should be able to take them off and they should ripen off the tree. But they mm-hmm. won't ripen from green. Okay. All righty. Okay. Thank you very much. Thanks, Bye. Lynn. Bye. Oh, where are we? We have uh, Des in Port Arlington. Good morning, Des. Yes, uh, good morning. Uh, uh, very quick. Uh, I'm just wondering when's the right time to uh, cut off uh, golden nugget uh, pumpkins. I have been told that I've got to wait until such time as uh, as some of the foliage, etc., starts to uh, die. But um, there are so many of them. Several have reached, uh, I think, their maximum in uh, in size, and I'm just wondering just when's the best time. Um, it, if you see the actual stem that connects the pumpkin to the vine, if yes. it starts to shrink, then yes. you can cut them. Yep. Um, I see. But well, normally you need to leave them out in the sun to sort of cure a bit in the sun, But and when you cut them, make sure you leave at least five centimetres of stem on each pumpkin. I see, yes. But in other words, not uh, just wait until the till the stem starts to shrink. Yeah, to shrink yeah. a bit. So yeah. just be patient with them, and yeah. then as I say, you need to to leave them um, outside somewhere to cure, so that your your skin toughens up, and that way you can then store them. Otherwise, yeah. they won't keep. No, I find. All okay. Right. Well, look, thank you very much for, for that information. Excellent. Good on you, Des. Bye. 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 And very quickly, we're going to uh, Sue in Narry Warren. Good morning, Sue. Oh, good morning, and uh, uh, Merry Christmas to everybody. Quick question. I've wanted to repot my Hoya this year, mm-hmm. uh, but I couldn't get it out of the pot. So what I did, I put fertiliser and topped it up. But all those scungy, horrible leaves, are they going to fall off, or should I take no, them take off? take them off. Take uh, them off. Yeah, if you've got a Hoya that's looking scruffy, the, the leaves, once they go scruffy, never really come good, and they'll hang on for ages. So preen it a bit. Clean it up a little bit. Um, and I might add, a root-bound Hoya often flowers better than one in a great well, big pot well, it's anyway. it's got heaps and heaps of flowers. It's just those grotty-looking leaves. Yeah, yeah, well, clean them out. I mean, if you have if you clean out the leaves, the, the scruffy old leaves, and you've still got at least sort of 60 or 70% of the foliage is on the plant, you're not going to do it any harm. Oh, okay then. Okay. Yeah, and it will just look nicer. Yeah. Okay yeah. then. Uh, Thanks. Have a good Christmas, everybody. Thank, thank you. Thanks, Sue. Bye. Bye. Yes, the good old Well, we made, made it through the calls. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm standard. we did that quite so well. We've just run out of time. I have to say um, a big thank you to Jan who's been handling all the calls. To all our listeners, have a wonderful, relaxed Christmas and New Year. As I mentioned, we will be back the first uh, Sunday in February, which will actually be the 7th of February. Stay cool, enjoy your gardens as much as you can and we'll return. Bye for now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.